We were a classic startup at that point where you have some revenues, you have lots of wins, but you have no internal structure at all. Like my co-founder and I are doing both jobs, doing everything. Your business is scaling fast. You're hiring constantly, but things aren't working out as well as they used to. Something's not right. And as two leaders, we had to realize that we can't do everything. Welcome to the second season of Grit and Growth from Stanford Seed, the show where Africa and South Asia's intrepid entrepreneurs share their trials and triumphs with insights from Stanford faculty on how to tackle challenges and grow your business. Last week, we discussed the ins and outs of talent acquisition. But before you can start hiring, you've got to zoom out a bit and ask some pretty fundamental questions. What am I doing here? Is there a meaning to life? Who am I? Okay, maybe let's zoom back in just a little bit. This is your captain speaking. We've reached cruising altitude of 30,000 feet. The fasten seatbelt sign is now off. Okay, that's better. I want you to think about your company's finances. Do you have a budget? A balance sheet? Revenue projections? Of course you do. You probably even have a plan for how to spend the money you haven't earned yet. Now, let's think about another resource your company has, your people. Do you know the true capacity of your current team? Do you even know what they all do? What skill gaps need to be filled today? What about next year? Will the team you have now take your company where you want it to go? Too many companies have no idea how to answer these questions. And this is especially important for growing businesses. If you want to scale, you're going to be spending a lot more time, energy, and money on your people. And that's where strategic HR comes in. Today, we're exploring the importance of a human resource strategy to underpin company growth. And we're going to do that through a great example, Danco Capital. You'll hear how this fast-growing company unlocked their market potential by refocusing on their human potential, how they survived a growth hangover and became the company their founder imagined. My name is Sachin Danani, and I'm a co-founder of a company called Danco Capital. Danco Capital is a manufacturing company. It's located in Kenya, and we operate in the water, sanitation, and telecom space. Our current focus really is in the East and Central Africa region, and we aim to improve lives through sustainable solutions within the space that we're working in. Danco specializes in HDPE. That stands for high-density polyethylene. And it's a strong, flexible plastic that can be made into durable piping. In it, Sachin saw the potential to modernize much of Kenya's core infrastructure. We built a good background in, within HDPE, and we, we were effectively pioneers in this. And, and that's how in 2015, towards the end of 2015, we got our first order. And that was a big win. And there was four people in our company, and we were just like ecstatic that we actually got one bit of revenue. And it was one of those things that you kind of look back and think, right, we're rolling. Give me the before-after snapshot or the how it started, how it's going now snapshot. So you start 2015, you get your first order, you have four staff, you're finally getting revenue. How many staff do you have now? So we currently employ about 240 people. So that's a lot more than the four that we had in, in 2015. And, re- and revenue snapshot, so 
current revenue roughly? I mean, roughly about $30 million. Three zero. Three zero. Yeah. Wow. That's phenomenal. So you start out making HTPE pipe. Now you're in at least three, maybe almost sounds like four verticals, staffing from four to 240, revenue from zero to 30 million in seven years. Yeah, it sounds like a big deal. That's a home run. I mean, that's that's <laughs> awesome. So what I really want to explore is what does a company go through internally with that kind of growth? You have four people. How fast did you get to 50 people? And then how fast to 100 people? So... 2016, we sort of had regular orders. And then we had to start building a team of people in production and in other areas. And I would say that we were a classic startup at that point where you have some revenues, you have lots of wins, but you have no internal structure at all. Like my co-founder and I are doing both jobs, doing everything. Uh, We have other people, whether it was a PA or a production manager that chipped in in logistics or driving a truck or anything that came to mind, really. So everyone's doing, everyone's doing everyone's job. So if I was to walk into the door in 2016 and I said, Sachin, what's your title? And you would say, well, I'm head of sales, I'm head of marketing, I'm head of manufacturing, and I'm uh, head of product development. Exactly. I'd say I, I didn't even have a title. And I don't think anyone had a title. That was the other thing, right? Could you have handed me an org chart in 2018 that said, here's our structure, this is where you are, this is who you report to, this is who reports to you? No, I could not have given you an org chart. (laughs) I really couldn't have. We had no org chart. We had no real job descriptions per se. Like, So we knew what people were doing loosely, right? So someone in production was in production and they were doing a lot of the production work. But at times they would also get involved with logistics, let's say. I would be doing a lot of the sales and because my background's in finance, I would look after all the finance. And and my co-founder is much more engineering based and so he would be looking after some of that as well. So when it came to things that were sort of in between, it would be like, who's got the time or who's done it in the past and let's just do it. And so what what would be the advantage is that we had lots of people doing different things, but the disadvantage was that there was no real focus and equally there could be things that fall between the cracks. So this is fascinating. Were you and your co-founder, what, what, what's your co-founder's name? My co-founder is Suraj, Suraj. Were you and Suraj sort of clear on your specific roles between the two of you? Suraj and I both had our own different skill sets and we kind of naturally knew what we'd be good at and what would be naturally suited to us. But equally in the middle was things like sales and product development that we both were passionate about. And it was a little bit difficult in a sense that, you know, you still step on each other's toes at different times and that didn't sit well with me. When did you hire your first head of HR? <laughs> 2020. 2020. So how many staff did you have when you hired an HR professional? 150, 160. I would say for sure, if you are with 50 people, you must have HR. That's Claudia Salvaschiani, the HR expert that we met in our previous episode. And Claudia knows Danco Capital well because she helped Sachin build his HR strategy. I have a 25 years background in HR in different corporations, in different countries. And after the Stanford program, I decided to leave the corporate world and start working with startups and scale-ups in Africa and Europe. Is there a uh, working definition of of HR? What I refer to when I say you need HR, you need actually 
a strategic HR. So you need somebody who understands the business strategy and helps you translate that business strategy into organization, people, and culture. That's what I mean with HR. For me, HR means alignment between business strategy and these three other elements. And there is a need of somebody who's focusing on this because people tend to focus extremely on business. There's two parts of HR, and that's how she described it. The first part is effectively what you'd call the transactional, the compliance part. And it's all the processes that paying people, uh, leave management, uh, the disciplinary matters. This is key. You ha- we have to have them really well done. And especially in Kenya or in any other parts of the world, if we don't do this properly, then you can get into quite a lot of trouble. So I think that, that's the first part. And I th- a lot of people think of HR as, as that and really that only, right? Hiring, firing, compensation, all that stuff, right? But I think the big learning for me was how HR can be very strategic. And it's key for the growth of the company and the way that we scale, but also just how we look after everyone in the company. And I think that needed a lot more than just a co-founder that has a lot of things to do. And it needs a lot more effort and impact You can imagine without the org structure, we don't have any processes. We're growing, yes, but we're growing because of hard and fast sales and various things happening in the energy, but not necessarily because of the way that we planned it. The first step in a strategic HR process is to evaluate the organizational design. Is your company built to do what you want it to do? Based on my experience, I've worked in West Africa, East Africa, South Africa and India. The first challenge is that um, most of the CEOs do not really think about the organizational design. So once they want to scale, they need to think about the setup. Do I have to change something in the setup? You have to be very aware where your management team is when you decide to go down a certain road. So when you decide on a strategy, you have to think, okay, so if I'm going to do this, it means, for instance, I'm going to grow very fast. It means that my management team has to learn very fast, has to take over very fast, this and this and this. So very often we think the HR strategy comes afterwards and it's just execution, and it's not. Actually, the HR strategy should really be a very important part of the business strategy because the question is, is the organization able to implement this? There is a general assumption that the organization naturally develops. (laughs) The design is organic, not intentional. Yeah, I mean, the design will follow automatically what we do and the business. No, no, there is nothing automatic. Uh, You have to think about it. When you scale, my experience is 90% of the cases you have to review the organizational structure. For instance, I was working with a company in Botswana, and normally when I start working with a company, the first thing I ask is, can you, can you send me an org chart so that I understand how you are, your setup is? And it was a growing company. Uh, it was a scaling company, and I didn't see sales, the function sales. I said, how do you do sales? Oh, no, this is done a little bit by me, a little bit by the R&D guy, a little bit by the finance guy. I said, really? The R&D guy and the finance guy are doing sales. What, what I realized is that it's not that they don't want to, but they don't even think about it. You said some really fascinating things about a company that has this really high prospects for growth. So they're building their scaling strategy. 
And one of the first things the CEO needs to do is look at their management team and say, is this the right team for the company that we want to become? Can they get us there? And once we're there, are they the right people? I think what you're saying is the same actually applies to organizational design. You have to think way ahead. Even if the boxes are empty or you don't have the funds yet to fill all the boxes, you have to have a vision for how this thing is going to look. And that's different from, oh my gosh, we're projecting that sales are going to raise by an order of magnitude in the next five years. Therefore, I need 10 times as many salespeople. Let's get on and start recruiting. And the challenging exercise is, when I do this with the CEOs, is forget the people. Forget the people that you have. What is the ideal structure that you need thinking about your strategy? Then we look at the people and we will discuss about the gaps. We'll discuss about it. But don't think of the people first. This is a very hard exercise. Organizational design might seem secondary when you've got to get bodies in the door to do the work. But it's essential. Because recruiting without a plan is like shopping without a grocery list. You'll get a ton of stuff, but most of it will be unnecessary, and you'll miss out on the things you actually need. So tell me, what are some of the things that go wrong in a scaling business that lacks that human capital strategy? The typical trends or behaviors that I see, the first one is uh, companies recruit all the time. So they think, I'm scaling, I have to add resources. So without maybe thinking about the organizational design, what they really need, without planning, they start recruiting and they recruit a high number of people. I was working with a company in India and they had hired like, I don't know, 50 people in a year. And at the point when I started working with them, I was like, yeah, but actually we have retention problems, we're losing the people, we have leadership problems and they had all kinds of problems. And they were keeping recruiting all the time. So what I often see is that they think if I scale, I have to have more resources. So they keep hiring people. Obviously, it's very important to have additional resources if you scale. But I think it's extremely important to plan. You know, honestly, and now I've worked for some, you know, big, clunky institutions, multilateral banks, the U.S. government, for example. I worked for a massive NGO. And I can't remember once... Anyone turning to the head of HR and saying, you know, we need you right here with us as we develop our business strategy. It was really something like, we're going to develop our business strategy, and then you're responsible for hiring people. I can absolutely confirm that this is a general problem all over the world, regardless what size of the organization. HR is pure service, execution, and solving problems. There is a, a kind of general mindset in the startup world that whatever comes from corporate or whatever is being done at corporate level is bad. We don't need that. That's too much of bureaucracy. That's too much procedure. That's too much paper. Right. We want to be agile, blah, blah, blah. We are agile and everybody's doing everything and so on. So when you reach the point of scaling, you need to have organizational clarity. This doesn't mean that you need tons of papers tons of job descriptions, but at least you have to have a clear setup and an org chart. Absolutely, I agree with you. And at least for the key positions, job descriptions. Through instinct and sheer force of personality, Sashin and his co-founder had grown Danko quickly. But to take their next step, they needed some clarity. When we set out our five-year plan, we started then building up job descriptions for everyone in the company. 
And this was a great exercise. And we ended up with people having three different job descriptions in the beginning because they were doing three different jobs. But we then were very, very careful about saying, right, you can have two and maximum two, but only for the next six months or next nine months while we transition into one job description per person. And there's a lot of learning that goes on, but it was key to our scaling going forward. You just used the phrase, it was key to our plan to scale. Tell me a bit more. Like You were scaling fast without it. What does it unlock to have job descriptions and clear lines of responsibility? How does that unlock growth in a you know what looks to be a fast-growing environment with lots of demand for your products? The first thing was that you, you can grow and you can grow very quickly, but at the same time, there's the back end that needs to grow with you, right? So what happens naturally is that you have a growth spurt And then you have sort of loads of internal issues that rise up and you're kind of like, where the hell did this come from? And so this is because the back end isn't working as as well as sort of what you're doing in in the front end. So what's key is that we kind of always have this catch-up period. I'd say having roles and responsibilities and job descriptions just improves transparency. It improves accountability. And it just gives an easy way for us as leaders to see where performance is happening and where performance isn't happening. And that transparency is key when you're growing and when you're scaling so that you can always make sure that you're fixing the areas that need fixing. Clear job descriptions, functional responsibilities, and coherent organizational design. These don't just show you what you have. They show you what you're missing. Was there an element like that in your HR plan going, you know, after 2020, 2021, where you figured like these are key roles that actually don't exist yet, but ought to exist and that and that are part and parcel of supporting the growth plan? Totally. And this is actually where HR and having a great HR leader can really come to their own because you look at the strategy, you look at if you look at five years from now, and if you'd looked at our company five years ago and look at it now, it's completely different, right? So if we take where we want to go and you look at that strategy and you think, well, if I'm going to be regional, which is what I want to do, and if I want to have another vertical, then I can now see the gaps of where structurally I don't have a position which I should have. Organizational clarity also brought a measure of freedom. I kind of want to touch on to one thing because you talked about it earlier, which is um, what it helped me do as well. And it helped Suraj and I kind of divide up the work and it really helped me focus on certain areas. So before, you know, like let's say in sales in particular, I wanted to make some changes and I would probably have to ensure that he was okay with them. And we had very different styles, although our values are similar. All of a sudden I could actually sort of implement some of the things that I wanted to do within the teams that I was in charge of in my way. And that kind of really helped also improve functions. You know, it's kind of this old saying, if there's more than one person in charge, then no one's actually taking charge. And so by dividing up your world between the two co-founders, you felt sort of unleashed or untethered to actually take charge of the piece of the business that you were now explicitly responsible for. Correct. I think that was key. I mean, that was probably the crux of it. Like, Having the role separation allowed each of us to take charge of the functions that we were responsible for. It's not always smooth sailing. As Sashin learned, your organizational structure may go through some growing pains as it adapts to real life. 
okay, well, I've got this gap. And actually I filled it and it was a disaster because the sales manager that I that I hired, she was probably very good at her role, but we didn't create the right environment for her. Again, everyone was used to reporting directly to me. And all of a sudden I brought this other person in from external and she had to then take on sort of seven people that were all very boisterous, loud people as well. And, and there was no structure behind that. And that was a big learning as well from an HR perspective about creating processes and within a function. So it actually, what then transpired, she left within six months. And then I had to, I actually luckily had someone else that I could promote from within the team. By that time, I took it a bit slower. And I sort of said, well, let's create the process. Let's create the KPIs. Let's create the, the sort of different segments. So we created four vertical heads effectively. And that was key for her being good at the role that she did and and actually having the foresight to say, well, you know, we need to have four people in charge of this and then one manager allows for the manager to have four people reporting to her and actually control it in that way rather than, you know, sort of 10 people with no KPIs and various things like that. So you can have an organizational structure, but if you do not create the processes and the right environment, then actually it may fall to nothing as well. What I like about this story is that it illustrates both the importance and the limitations of organizational design. You can't just drop a manager on a group of individuals that are used to functioning independently. But with the right structure, the sales team could be managed by one person, and in fact, it had the capacity to grow. However, this is only half the equation. Organizational design can make a role simpler and more straightforward, but it doesn't actually improve someone's skills. For that, you need development. Within the positions that I do have, you can assess whether those people can actually grow into that role as well. So it becomes a very, very key part of the strategy going forward because as much as we invest in machinery or invest in our capital, I think as especially as leaders in this part of the world, we forget that investing in people is probably more important than anything else. And therefore, we need to then be able to identify that actually, you know what, if I have a finance manager that doesn't understand the finances in another country and then be able to rise up to become a group finance manager, then I need to train that person. Or if I can't train that person, I need to fill that gap. It's so key. Do you know who your best potential, highest potential people are. Because they are, you know, if you can find those people, first of all, the cost of building your team is much lower. Secondly, the risk and the uncertainty is, you know, bringing in like the first HR manager you brought in, the poor poor person only lasted six months. This, the enabling environment wasn't there. The jobs of today might not be the same ones that you have tomorrow if you change the strategy and you grow. So it's about identifying the skills you need, not necessarily focusing on the skills you have. Exactly. So after organizational design and thinking about your strategy, it is a question of which skills you're going to need in the future. And after that, you can start speaking about people and recruiting. Because actually a recruiting strategy comes after this analysis of skills that you need and whether you can develop the people internally towards the skills or not. Developing talent internally can have huge payoffs. So the million-dollar question is, how do you build an employee's capabilities? And this is another arena where Claudia has something to offer. So what is performance management? Performance management is a process that enables 
people. It's actually primarily a development process, in my view. So it doesn't mean that you're just talking nice all the time. I mean, you're talking about results, you're talking about what the person is doing, you're measuring, but the final goal of this through the dialogue is to develop the person. Because my theory is, if you develop the people, the people are gonna give you back everything. They're gonna be engaged and you're gonna have excellent results. So focus on developing people. So what does that look like? What is a good performance management process that helps develop people? Okay, first of all, you have a goal-setting process, let's say in general terms, okay? Not not thinking about a particular organization, but in general, I believe you should have a top-down, a bottom-up goal-setting process with dialogue. Is the top-down part the, this is our strategy, this is where we're trying to get to? What we're trying to do, I think this year the priority should be one, two, three. I mean, obviously, as a CEO, you have to define this. But you have to allow the organization to say, yeah, but we have issues here and here. Why don't we put also this and this as a priority? Okay, they must have the possibility of saying what they see as a priority. So that in setting the goals and the other one, how they get to the goals. You should give people freedom how they get to the goals. That's development of the people because people have to experience themselves how they get there. That's growth. As the next step in their HR strategy, Danco created a performance management system, and it's been a game changer. It's allowed Sachin to identify his best performers and understand his team's strengths and weaknesses. That understanding proved essential in deploying their talent strategically. Having this sort of organizational structure plus the performance management system like the OKR allows you to actually be able to identify those that can think with different competencies. So my example is that someone that is very good at execution may not be a great strategic mind and vice versa, right? And actually what your need is and what my need is currently is more strategic minds and more problem solvers. So that person that is a great executioner may not be the person that leads the team going forward. And having the ability to assess that allows you to identify things like this very quickly. So does that, is that now part of your HR strategy is identifying high potential individuals internally? Yeah, definitely. I'd say that one of the key things is that we have what we call A-list players and we sort of always try and identify our A-list players. And it's very important when you're talking about an A-list player to be able to then say, what is it individually that they want? What is it that they are looking at? What is their aspirations? As well as then what aspirations you have and can you match them? Because you do need to be able to do that from an individual perspective. I had a great receptionist that started with me in 2015 and she is one of my segment heads of telecom right now. So she's moved from being a receptionist to sort of various roles and moved within the organization. And most individuals, if you look at every one of us, we are always aspirational and we're always wanting to know where we want to go next. And this is kind of the key thing that we need to be able to transfer to every individual and in particular, the people that you want to keep. And if they don't have that growth, then I feel that they'll either stay for the wrong reasons or they'll leave and unfortunately you'll lose out as well. So it's not a great situation to be in. A performance management system helps you identify employees to develop and promotions give them opportunities to tackle new challenges. But the most underutilized development tool is you, the leader. A founder's time is a valuable resource and how it's spent should absolutely be a strategic decision. 
what is it that as leaders we're focusing on that give the most value to the company? If you're on the floor looking at the quality of the product when actually something, that's something that you could delegate to someone else and you're not focusing on the strategy of the company or where you want to move forward to, then actually that's where your opportunity cost is quite high in the sense that you're, you're actually losing out there. Leaders can develop people much better than trainings. I'm a little bit extreme in this statement, but I think that the interaction with the leader through role model, through assignments, through giving certain tasks, putting the people in certain situations, you can really have huge development of the people. And I think this is one of the areas where we need to work in companies, make leaders more responsible for the development of their people and think about how can I develop this capability with this person? In what kind of situation can I put this person so that the person can grow? This reminds me of uh, an approach called situational leadership. You know, it's a standard two-by-two matrix where you have somebody who's super enthusiastic and eager, but maybe lacks domain expertise. So that requires a different type of management from somebody who has a domain expertise, but is an underperformer. So it's something else entirely going on there. And then there's the person who, like, it's... It's a completely new role for them. And each of these requires a different management style. But that's why when you're scaling, so coming back to the point that we were mentioning before, when you are scaling, you have to shift the focus from product, market, and so on. I mean, obviously, you have to have that under control. But it requires really effort to think about what kind of people do I have? How do I have to manage these people? Where do I have to bring these people? How do I develop them? How do I develop the organization? task of a leader is to develop the organization. Thanks to Sachin and Claudia, Danko had developed a strong HR strategy. The thing about strategy, though, is it's only as good as your execution. What I see very often is that it's as if, oh, I have now the strategy, so I'm going to fly. No. <laughs> Now you have to think, do I have the right setup? Do I have the right people? Who owns what? How do I break it down? How do I communicate it? This whole piece is a development area. So what you're saying is it doesn't matter how clear the strategy is. If people don't understand why those choices were made, and then more importantly, they don't understand their role in contributing to that strategy, then it's just going to be like you print it out, everyone's claps and says, oh, that's awesome. And then it just sits on the desk. How did you first sit down and say, hey, folks, we're going to do this thing and it's going to take a while and it's going to be really different? Once we had an idea of exactly how we wanted to set up the organization, we called a town hall effectively and, and introduced it in that format. And we then said it's going to be a three-month transition and that was mainly to allay the fears and, you know, just people reacting in different ways. And that was one of the big things that we did. And so it was a very formal event, actually. And it was probably one of our first formal town halls that we ever had. So first town hall in forever. Hi, everybody. We're going to radically change how we are structured. And we're going to give you guys titles and, and we're going to give you job descriptions. Did anyone raise their hand and say, what the hell? It was a conversation, but it wasn't a what the hell coming back. It was more like, what does it mean and how does this work? And, and you've got to remember that a lot of people here, especially in East Africa, like they've never really probably had an environment where they had an organizational structure or they were transparently shown this, right? 
So it was kind of new to them and they were like, oh, wow. And we kind of gave them the opportunity to make their own job descriptions, right? So it was also involving them in the process. And that was, that was part of the win, I suppose. Even though Sanchin got incredible buy-in from his team, change is hard. I think one of the biggest issues they, that a lot of people had was they could directly report to me or, my, or Suraj, right? And all of a sudden they had to go through an alternative person that sort of sat between them. And that was quite a difficult transition because from a very flat structure to sort of be accountable to someone else and kind of think, well, is that person senior to me or not? And these were all the sort of little things that came through. And that is huge, right? If you used to report to the founder and now you don't, that can feel like a demotion. Yeah, exactly. And this is kind of the things that, these were the conversations that we needed to have and a lot of them. I think the main thing was educating people on why we're doing this. It's not to say that we're not available. We're available to talk to you, right? But we do need to have clear processes. And it took a long time. It took about a year to embed these into the process. And it was also a challenge on our part. Like I, many a times, I think I overstepped my mark. So for example, I went to someone indirectly when I should have gone through their manager. And I did that a lot of times and it was kind of continuously learning. And, and that was part of our culture that, look, we'll make mistakes, we'll put our hands up and we'll, we'll move on. The key to execution is persistence. You've got to be willing to stick to it, to prioritize your HR strategy, even when there are a million other things to worry about. If I was to talk to any other leader, it's to really, really focus on your people and the structure of the organization and actually take it seriously. So when, when you do have this OKR or any other program that you want to implement is to be basically there at every meeting so that everyone knows that you're taking it as seriously as everyone else. Because if you don't do that, then what happens in general is it dies of slow death and it doesn't, it doesn't have the same impact. So I think that was my other learning is that you have to be on top of it. We have to sort of keep on nagging, keep on sort of bringing it up as why it's important and making people understand that this is the key thing that we're going to be driving this year or next year or the year after. One of the things that Claudia said to me, she said that so many companies she supported have built in all the processes and systems, but then two years later, they've either fallen apart or they're only being partially practiced or they've just gone. Why is this stuff so hard to stick? It takes time, right? Like every team has to meet every two weeks and it has to be scheduled. And then you have to report to someone else. And then every month you get it on a call again and then you sort of discuss the same objectives. And that requires management time, requires other people's time, it requires leaders' time. So when you have something else going on that you think is more important, right? You always think, well, this is okay, I'll, I'll wait for this. And actually, as leaders, what we need to be able to instill is that this is probably the most important process. It might not be urgent, but it is important. And, and if we focus on this, then it just creates such a better culture, but also it'll allow us to get our results that we want to do. And this is kind of one of the key things that people were learning as we went along that, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, they're so busy that they kind of focus on firefighting and everything else. But then all of a sudden they come to this two weekly meeting and they're like, oh, my strategic goal was to do this, but I haven't spent any time on it. And then we start saying, well, okay, how do you create time on it? And what are you not doing right now that you can allow yourself to make more time? And inevitably what they're not doing is not enabling the staff below them to take on some of the tasks that they're doing. 
And then when they see the results of that, then, then that's where you have this continuous improvement. And when they see the continuous improvement, then, then it becomes, I think, self-fulfilling in, in many ways. If your business is growing, it's also changing. But too often, founders don't acknowledge that. They hire the 50th employee into a company that's really designed for 15 people. That's a recipe for redundancy, inefficiency, and turnover. Things that will drag on the growth that kicked off your hiring spree in the first place. This is a common feature of rapidly growing companies that started with a small team sharing many functions. But if you can be intentional about the way your business is built, you can save so much time and energy. Design an organization that reflects your goals. Identify key gaps and hire purposefully. Find your best people and commit to their growth. It'll be essential to your own. And above all, follow through. Your people are one of your most valuable resources. Treat them that way. Include them in strategy formulation and prioritize that strategy to enable their best work. If you do that, you'll build a company you can be very proud of. I'd say the thing that I'm most proud of is the team we've built. And in particular, seeing a lot of people that didn't necessarily have the opportunities that I have had really take on the opportunities and grow and actually want to be much more than they ever thought they were, in a sense. Like if you talk to my sales manager, I don't think she ever dreamt of what she's doing right now. If you talk to my production manager, the same thing. And that is one of the best things that I'd say I've created with, with Suraj. I feel like they've got the opportunity and they're taking it and I'm creating an environment where I can deliver that for them. I want to thank Sachin Danani and Claudia Salvaschiani, but we're not ready to say goodbye to them just yet. Tune into our next episode to hear Sachin and Claudia one last time in the final chapter of our trilogy on human resources. This has been Grit and Growth with the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and I'm your host, Darius Teeter. If you like this episode, leave us a review on your podcast app. It really helps us to share the stories of these incredible entrepreneurs with as many people as possible. To learn how Stanford Graduate School of Business is partnering with entrepreneurs in Africa and Asia, head over to the Stanford Seed website at seed.stanford.edu slash podcast. Grit and Growth is a podcast by Stanford Seed. Erica Amawake Ajay and VN Virgin researched and developed content for this episode. Kendra Gladich is our production coordinator, and our executive producer is Tiffany Steves, with writing and production from Andrew Gannam and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>